Where does your mind go first? Does it go to the negative most of most the time? Most people do. Yeah. And we go into the fear mode. And so, you know, creating out of fear, we create our lives out of fear and crisis, you know. And so, uh, if that's really what you want to create and that's how you want to create, it's a more stressful way to create, but, you know, at least be aware of that, right? Um, but there's a better way. There's a better way, in my opinion. And what I've learned is to create through love, create through support. Mm-hmm. Uh, create through uh, giving and receiving and, and all of these things. And that's why I wanted to include this in the book and give everybody a different perspective so we could start changing perceptions for people um, because it's really, your health is all about your perception, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul welcomes back Alison Pillow to his podcast. Alison is a dynamic fitness trainer and energy coach specializing in rapid, permanent change through corrective exercise, metabolic nutrition, and energetic alignment. She helps people feel strong, confident, and calm in their bodies for life-changing results with practical, proven energy skills, including mindfulness, reflection, and deep affirmations. Her latest book, Finally Thriving, has just been released. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of mind and body, and live their dreams. Enjoy Paul and Allison talking about how to thrive. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D. Today, Allison Poulot returns for round three with me. Why? Because she's always got something interesting to say that I think helps a lot of people wake up and live and love more fully. So, Allison, welcome. Thank you, Paul. It's an honor to be here. So, today we're going to talk about your new book, Finally Thriving, which I've been dialoguing with you back and forth since you started working on it. I must say, I love the cover. Beautiful, zen-like cover. Thank with, you. You know, it's a rainbow too, and I Live at the Rainbow House. Yes, it's appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So welcome back to the Rainbow. Thank you. So, you know, it's a it's an important book, and I looked through it quite a lot. You sent me it on, on in an electronic format so I could search through it. But I'll just sort of give a quick overview. You know, some of the chapters are align with your mind, what is your default, get clear on your values. It all starts with focus, your workout perspective, learning how to receive, that's an important one. It's not personal. Trust your body, it knows what to do. How true is that? One love, which is cool because in one of my chapters on love in my new book, it begins with the words to Bob Marley's song, One Love. That's what I was thinking about too. <laughs> Bob Marley, just still alive, isn't I he? I know. You can't kill that guy. No. Because you can't kill love. That's right. Um, use your imagination muscle. That's important. Overcoming fear of change. That's a big one. Ground your mind by tuning into your body. That's important and not done very often these days. Your emotions and your physiology. Honor your perspective. And part two is connect to your body. So, wow, you've got a lot of chapters here. (laughs) There's a lot of chapters, yeah. Wow, yeah. So, there's 57 chapters chapters is that right yes man you must have been you had sore fingers well it <laughs> this was a process of a, a writing every morning for six months straight so yeah. i'd wake up every morning and just write yeah before anybody else woke up and 
it was an automatic writing practice for me. And eventually it just turned into this uh, wonderful book that came together. Uh, and the idea behind the book, I was inspired to write smaller chapters mm-hmm. that were more like bite size mm-hmm. for people to uh, be able to digest, have fun with, uh, come into it for, uh, you know, to spark more of an imagination, creativity within themselves. Uh, so that they can get more into their right brain because we have so much stuff in the world that's more left brain focused and especially as it relates to wellness. And, uh, you know, we're taking in a lot of information, especially now uh, after the pandemic and uh, everybody's focused on their health and wellness, but we've not really uh, explored the path of wellness that is Uh, a joyful, blissful experience. How can we create joy and bliss in our wellness experience so that we stick with it? And it's something that is uh, very unique to each individual. Yeah. I think what's happening now is, is what I would call wellness out of fear. Yeah. That's, that's what I was seeing. Exactly. And it's also, as you know, so very, very confused as it always has been because you get everything from the magic pill to, you should only juice to yep. radical diets to every other damn thing. I mean, as exactly. soon as there's an opportunity to make a money off people's fear, it just goes crazy out there. So it's it's good to see, you know, books like yours coming out that are helping ground people yeah. in more of a realistic daily practice instead of take this pill, do this diet, and it'll all be okay. Right. We're, we're in such a fix-it mentality when it yeah. comes to our health, and I was tired of seeing that. And not that that you know, that's definitely something that uh, is is in, you know imperative. It's 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 important for people to know how to approach health and practically take the steps to get there. But it's also important for people to have fun doing it. So where's the fun in it? Where's the enjoyment out of your wellness practice? And how do you stick with it over a lifetime? You know, yeah. It is important. It, it is a lifestyle mm-hmm. n- more so than um, uh, what's the right word? It's it's not a concept that you apply for a couple of weeks or just to lose weight. Right. It's a way of living, and it's also a way of relating to yourself, to others in the world. And I think that you know it's easy to get lost out there. Because there's so many conflicting opinions and everybody's an expert and all these experts on any topic are diametrically opposed. (laughs) So I always say it's real simple. Just don't go to unhealthy people for health advice. (laughs) That's a great rule of thumb to to go by for sure. Yeah. Yeah, That's what we've been doing this past couple of years is listening to people who know nothing about health. And that really... uh, that irks me. Uh, you know, that's why I put the, in the beginning of the book about authority, like who, who is um, your authority and why isn't it, why aren't you putting your own perspective first and honoring that? Do you know how to do that? And mm-hmm. I take people through the steps in how to uncover what is really true for you, because I think that's one of the most important steps we're missing mm-hmm. because we're just grabbing on to whatever out of fear, like you say, mm-hmm. whatever we think would work out of, uh, you know, the fear of, of not dying or not, not getting sick, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's really no way to go about the wellness journey. In my opinion, I, I feel like there is really no fear 
there once you learn about yourself and you're grounded within who you are and what works for you. Yes. And, and I always tell people there's a very important question to ask yourself regularly, and that is, how is it working for you? Yes. How, how is the grapefruit diet working for you? <laughs> how is the, you know, antacids working for you? And the other question to always ask, is it really true, no matter what you hear from an expert? Exactly. Is, is it really true? And and it takes effort to look into these things, or you just believe anything that you see, and that's that's really dangerous. But you know, I tell people your body never lies. So if you if you start some kind of a process, but you're not feeling like you're moving in the direction of greater vitality, greater health, better inner calm, more of a sense of integration, then you either need to ask the person who's got you on the program why that is, or you need to say, how long has this been going on? If you've been on this diet for three months and you're not feeling better, then it means it's probably the wrong approach. Absolutely. It's about, it really comes down to your ability to relax. That's a part of health. That's a huge component of health that people just do not put together. And, uh, you know, because we're inundated with all of these fix-it approaches and our quick fix approaches. And, you know, it, it really comes down, can you relax without any substances? Can you, do you have the ability to breathe deeply in your body and feel that calmness from within, mm-hmm. um, that groundedness in your body, like you're saying? Yeah. yeah. And I'm personally, I don't have anything wrong with substances. I mean, here we are smoking tobacco and herbs. Um. I just always ask the question, is it working for you? Is it genuinely working for you? Absolutely. You yeah. know, like if I just smoked tobacco to relax and didn't exercise and meditate and do Tai Chi and lift stones and use saunas and cold plunges and spend time goofing around with the kids, doing art, uh, walking the land, those are the practices that, you know, need to be sleeping you know, those are the practices that have to be put into play or any kind of a substance really becomes a crutch and, and yes. it's it's never going to compensate for not having healthy foundation principles. Absolutely. Yeah, you taught me that well. You know, our six foundational health principles have to be in place. And that is something I do mention in the book uh, before you can really explore a lot of these emotional parts of yourself, uh, the spiritual, the deeper aspects of spirituality within yourself, your mm-hmm. true essence, tap into your creativity. That's why the cover of the book is like it is because I wanted to in- invoke uh, a spirit of creativity in people as it relates to their wellness. Did you create the cover? In a way, yeah. in an indirect way. So I answered questions about how I wanted it to look and my, the people who I hired to help me put that together based on the answers of my questions. Because it looks it was, like something maybe you would have painted. It could be in the future. Yeah, something like, yeah, absolutely. That is my style. It's funny that you say that. I haven't thought about that actually, but yeah, that definitely is my style. Yeah, it does. It does reflect. It reflects a part of me for sure. For it's sure. good to know that your team is actually able to work productively with you. That's rare when you're writing a book. <laughs> I know. I was really pleasantly surprised by the people that I chose to help me because uh, it's. I've had this journey of like, uh, you know, I talk about this in the book of want, needing 
feeling like I'm supposed to do all this by myself. And it's that's mm. such a heavy burden. It is. You know? And what we don't realize many times is uh, it's really receiving the support in your life is what makes the magic happen. And so when you can do that, then things just really open up because they're creating a container for you of support so that you can have that creativity uh, and express that yes. through whatever you'd like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I've had to learn that, you know, my midlife crisis came because I was just trying to do too much by myself and, and also just burned out from nonstop traveling and outputting, outputting, outputting. But, um, you know, I tell people all the time, especially young athletes that are chasing maximum lifts all the time. Right. I say, it doesn't matter if you can squat a thousand pounds, if you can't get along with your wife and kids. And I also say it's important to realize that nothing meaningful in the world can ever be done by one person. Right. So you ultimately have to develop your relationship skills and find people that have harmony and values or you'll never get anything meaningful done in your life. You'll just burn yourself out. Absolutely. And it all starts with you. It all mm. starts with yourself, cultivating that relationship with yourself, understanding what your values are and uh, you know, discovering where your mind goes the majority of the time. Most people don't even think about that. They don't think about their default mode with their mind. You know, where does your mind go first? Does it go to the negative most of most the time? Most people do. Yeah. And we go into the fear mode. And so, you know, creating out of fear, we create our lives out of fear and crisis, you know. And so, uh, if that's really what you want to create and that's how you want to create, it's a more stressful way to create, but, you know, at least be aware of that, right? Um, but there's a better way. There's a better way, in my opinion. And what I've learned is to create through love, create through support, mm -hmm. uh, create through uh, giving and receiving and, and all of these things. And that's why I wanted to include this in the book and give everybody a different perspective so we could start changing perceptions for people um, because it's really, your health is all about your perception, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people, because coaching so many people and having thousands of students all over the world, you can imagine I get emails constantly from people in some kind of a crisis, but most of them aren't really a legitimate crisis. It's more of a crisis of projection. Yes. Projecting their fear onto it. And granted, when the world's in a kind of a situation like it's in right now, it's very easy to fall into that trap. So what I tell people, look, I say, can you breathe right now? Yes. Do you have food? Yes. Do you have water? Yes. Do you have shelter? Yes. Do you have warmth? Are, your, are you, is anyone trying to harm you physically or attack you right now? No. Do you have people that love you in your life and that you're able to share love with? Yes. Then there's nothing to really worry about. Yes. If you have those needs met, food, water, safety, shelter, warmth, love, and relationship, then you have the essential needs. And if you allow yourself to fall into a fight or flight reaction, then whatever you create is not going to be creativity, it's going to be a reproduction of another habit or another idea that you've used in the past, because when you get high stress, you go into your left brain hemisphere, and it's only accessing your own narrative. It's not really going into anything novel. That requires the right hemisphere to access the wholeness of a situation or what's possible. And so... Absolutely. 
the paradox and, and you know as a martial artist you learn all the great martial artists tell you you need to stay parasympathetic not go sympathetic because if you get triggered then you fall back into habit patterns then the other your opponent can pick up the repeated patterns and knows how to surprise you because you're predictable right so it's better to really just ground yourself arnold patton says never do anything out of need or obligation if the need arises lay on the floor until the feeling of need or obligation or duty passes and only get up when you can do it out of love. So I think if we feel stressed or we feel pressured or we're doing things out of what seems to be need or obligation, but we're, but our heart's not in it, then it's really better just to lay on the floor Yes, and wait until the urge to do it out of duty or obligation or fear passes so that when you get up you're you're able to say okay i'm at least brave enough to take time to breathe and and let the earth carry the weight of my body and center myself absolutely it's it's really the difference between responding and reacting right? yes yeah. yeah it comes down to that and so we react a lot of times when we are afraid of something or we've had a past experience that we're still experiencing it's a book on the shelf it's part of our subconscious that's still running the show mm-hmm. um, behind the scenes and if we're not aware of those things then they just keep they keep uh, you know participating in our reactions to life and when we can actually respond that's when we are in a mode of creativity. Uh, we can actually enjoy our life. We can respond uh, from a grounded place mm. and make proper decisions for ourselves because we're we're in our body and we're we know who we are. We know what we want. We mm. know what our values are. You know, and and then that's when you can kind of let your creative fly there. You know, because, but until that happens, it's it's hard to contain that, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the other thing, too, is the world's always... Yeah. Someone's always screwing somebody. Somebody's <laughs> always starting a war. There's always criminals called government and yeah. corporations. You know, the drug industry, the medical industry, the military-industrial complex, the energy industry, and the list just goes on. The banking industry, the food industry... You know, it doesn't matter which way you go. There's always scandals going on. So at the end of the day, you know, you you have to say, okay, this is the nature of large numbers of human beings interacting with each other. Right. They're just like little snotty-nosed kids that are fighting with their favorite weapons and uh, not really having much depth of foresight. So I think what this whole pandemic has done is it's made us realize that it's gotten out of hand to the point where now our, our constitutional rights, our freedoms, our civil liberties and everything is really under serious threat worldwide. And the reason I bring that up is the only way we're going to get through a situation like this is that if we genuinely connect to each other and start thinking globally and thinking together and creating a group mind but it all begins with getting clear on what our values are that we all need together yes we all need food we all need water we all need healthy soil we all need you know what i call the game board to be healthy nobody can get by if they don't have food water 
safety, shelter, warmth, which requires energy, electricity, right. propane, whatever. Um, f- we could have free energies. But the point is, is that if we don't start listening to each other, not necessarily whether you're anti or pro-vax or, or those kind of polarized things, but really underneath all that is both of those camps want safety and security. Some just believe that it comes by way of a vaccination. Others believe that it comes by way of taking care of yourself and that if you don't take care of yourself, then it's just another endless string of drugs and vaccinations. But at the core of that is that they're both seeking safety. Yes, yes. So I think we all need to really look at the issues on the table and say, okay, how do we actually create safety regardless of differences of opinion about sex about skin color, about religious affiliations, about uh, medical ideas. But if we really address the issues that create safety for everybody and those get met, then we actually have a position from which we're not so um, freaked out that we can start looking at the other issues collectively. But the reality of it is, is just to meet the issues of safety and security at the point we're at now, we are going to have to get together and we are going to have to be creative And we're going to have to work together for a common good or a dream that all of us can agree upon. Absolutely. That's 100% true. And uh, much of what I talk about in my book is about how do you begin to uh, bring together those parts of yourself that are conflicted. So for example, when you hear somebody saying something you disagree with and it triggers you heavily, mm-hmm. how do you, <laughs> are you is that really something that is within you that needs to be resolved or, you know, or is it that person, you know, so most of the times it's something within us that needs to be resolved. And so we can come to a deeper level of compassion for uh, for what's happening within us, you know, or out and and then outside of us, and so, um, you know, that takes that takes a lot of reflection, which people aren't really doing much of these days. We're we're mostly just reacting to what we see and um, out of fear, you know, and so, um, uh, yeah, I think it's very important for people to begin to learn how to reflect on their lives and then really ask the question, like you said earlier, is it true for you? Is this really true? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you don't have to, nobody ever said we needed to agree with each other. Nobody ever said that. And I think the world would be quite boring if we all did. Uh, How can we get to a point in a place in our life where we can appreciate someone's viewpoint and perspective, if even if it doesn't agree with you, even Mm -hmm. if it's something that isn't resonating with you. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That person experiences life that way. Maybe I can ask a question and 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 get curious about why they feel that way or why they're experiencing their life that way. There might be a whole story behind that. We don't mm-hmm. even know. But if we make an assumption and we react to it in the moment and we get angry, you know, that's also not really helping. Um, there might be something within you that you need to get angry about or make a decision about in your life. And then therefore, then you can come up to the next level of compassion and empathy for that person. But maybe you're not there yet mm-hmm. with that particular subject yet. So I, I'm seeing this happen all over. Um, and again, like you're saying, with the safety, uh, people feel safe 
sometimes when they are, are taken care of by the government or the medical community, that's what they've learned. Mm-hmm. But my, are they? But I, are they yeah, really my, my challenge is to say, you know, hey, well, well, what, you know, ask yourself, is that really, is that really safety for you? And explore that within yourself. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's not, you know, I've, I've come to those conclusions. Like I, I've found safety from within my own perspective and how I view it because I've learned a lot about it. So mm-hmm. maybe there's some more learning that you need to do as it relates to that topic if you're curious about it. But I think first we have to get curious. Yes. As you can imagine, I've worked with many clients that want to get fitter, healthier, and recover from injuries but it's not uncommon for them to tell me that they don't have a lot of time to work out. I'm sure you all know exactly what I'm talking about. You might wonder, well, how do I help them? For those clients, I've created my Big Bang approach to exercise. Big Bang workouts enable you to get the most from your workout in the least amount of time because they use numerous biomotor abilities and planes of movement all at once. If you want to get the most out of your workouts, Big Bang exercises are the way to go, particularly if you need to get a lot of work done in a short time, as is so often the case for many busy people today. I've written a quick ebook to show you exactly how to do that. It's called Paul Check's Big Bang Workouts, and it's available to you for free. I'll teach you exactly what makes an exercise a Big Bang exercise, show you a number of my favorite Big Bang exercises, and teach you some basic program design principles so you know how to fit them into your workouts properly or use Big Bang exercise as a concept to create short, powerful workouts. To get your copy of the ebook, go to checkinstitute.com forward slash Big Bang. And remember that's C-H-E-K institute.com forward slash Big Bang. Enjoy your free Paul Check's Big Bang workout ebook. Conflict is a healthy part of any relationship, and people yeah. try to avoid conflict, but you can't really avoid the conflict of growth because without the conflict, you never really understand another person's viewpoint or their motives. And a lot of the issues that we're either avoiding or censoring, which is extremely dangerous. Yeah. As soon as you start censoring, it means I'm not interested in your opinion. Right. And so if you look at censorship from a farming perspective, it means killing off everything except what you want to grow, which is called monocropping. And there's more research than I could put in a football stadium to show that that actually deteriorates the survivability of anything in nature and leads to catastrophes. So I think, you know, part of the importance of what we're talking about is it's, it's naive, it's even worse than childish to think that you can navigate a relationship with your spouse, your boss, your brother, your sister, your anybody mm-hmm. without any conflict. Because if there's no conflict, then you're not really getting past superficial appearances. You're just taking everything at face value. Yeah. The secret of the conflict is is not to have conflict that deteriorates the connection or the quality of the relationship. I tell people, conflict is healthy as long as you can stay connected at the heart. Yes. If you're genuinely interested in somebody's opinion, Mark Wu Lin and his teachings has a really profound question when he's investigating, you know, uh, issues of 
genetic transfer through the family line and why people have phobias or, or strange and unusual behaviors or um, insecurities or they're cutting themselves or whatever. But he, he really boils it down to the question, what is your greatest fear? So I think when we're dealing with challenging situations, such as vaccination or not vaccination, or arguments within the family as to how that should be handled, or you know uh, how to invest money, or any of the things that every family has to deal with, I think from my experience, if you give a person the space, each person to say, what is your greatest fear in this regard? Then once you understand the greatest fear, you understand where they're coming from, what's motivating them to have that opinion. And then when you understand, like if you said, well, my greatest fear is that I might get sick. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, my greatest fear is that you might get sick from the methods you're using to avoid getting sick. Mm-hmm. So let's look into the track record of organic food, organic farming, and holistic living versus medical intervention and how many drugs have had to be taken off the shelf and how many of these vaccine manufacturers have been sued for killing countless amounts of people and how reliable can we trust them to be based on history right? so we can really decide whether or not the f- position we're taking to resolve our greatest fear is actually likely to be a resolution. Yes. But my point being is if you don't know what the person's greatest fear is, you don't really know what's inspiring their viewpoint. So you end up meeting their viewpoint, but not what's inspiring it. So it's sort of like cutting the top off of a weed. You, you never kill the weed that way. Right. But the greatest fear is usually the root of people's um, positions, yeah. valuations, judgments, choices. Yeah, I think one of the greatest fears that we experienced this past couple of years is the need to belong. Like, yeah. are you going to be alone? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, that, that's what, what I think drove m- many people to latch on to the group think within yes. all of this. And uh, as much as it is a fear for people, and I totally understand because that is a survival mode type of fear, mm-hmm. um, we all need each other. Mm-hmm. But how true is that really? I mean, there are so many people out there with different points of view. You're going to attract uh, many people that are on the same page as you. You might, uh, you might leave the people that you don't agree with anymore or that you don't have common values with anymore. And that's okay. That happens naturally anyway. Yes. But what we, we wanted to dig deeper, like you say, and, and, and find that deeper fear, which for many people is that need to belong because it's, it's ingrained in us and it's been with us since we were, you know, in tribes and, and, and before all of, all of our modern culture and civilization. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that a lot of times does, has, it's definitely driven it this past couple of years for sure. And I've seen that so much. And I've seen people who, who I thought had uh, holistic values. Yes. Just drop them completely for this whole thing. And I was really surprised by that because to me, you know, I've done the research. I've, I've, I've studied this stuff for years and, you know, I know 
what my perspective is, it's, it's, it goes more of the natural route and what makes sense. Yes. You know, the, the medical community, to me, nothing against the medical community. I think they do a lot of wonderful things, but they also make things way more complicated than they should be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, of course, through the intervention of the pharmaceutical companies and mm-hmm. the need to make money and how it's, how it's all turned out. And so if you, if you see it from that perspective, um, it's not that people don't want to help people in those industries. I think there are people that do, but they have been taught that, um, that this is the way and they haven't been taught the way, uh, that our bodies naturally work and respond as much. And, and many people haven't been exposed to that either. So we have lost trust in our own bodies and the ability for our bodies to have this natural technology that is just phenomenal. And if you mm-hmm. knew about it, you'd be like, wow, what am I doing? Like, yes. You know? Well, the Hippocratic Oath says first do no harm. And I think, unfortunately, the medical community has forgotten their own oath. Yes. You know, uh, taking dr- toxic drugs and injections and using surgery and radiation and all the other things that people resort to first is not doing no harm. You know, the word doctor, paradoxically, in Latin means teacher, but the doctors have forgotten how to teach health because they've forgotten what health is. And then when you start getting all sorts of bribing and, uh, you know, manipulation and trickery and censorship and non-disclosure of contents and, you know, all the stuff that's going on, the paradox of it is, is that the urge to be socially connected in a group ultimately is frequently a means of avoiding the responsibility of thinking for yourself. Yes. Because real yes. thinking takes effort. You you have to do your own research. You have to ask questions. You've got to get involved. But once you start getting into herd mentality, you just go where the sheep are going. And there's an old saying, whichever direction the herd is going, go the opposite direction if you want to survive. And And that turns out to be true more often than not. Yes. And it takes you, responsibility. It does. You have to have responsibility. And if you don't have vitality, then your responsibility factor goes down tremendously. Because just looking at, for example, Claire, Va- Claire Graves' structure of values, he shows that when a person reaches beige, which is the bottom, which means their body's in crisis, they don't have any interest in anybody else's needs because they're in survival mode. Right. So what happens is as people get less and less vital and less and less healthy, they actually have less and less genuine interest in anybody else's needs because they're only worried about whether they're going to survive or not. So they, they become a dependent to the family. They become a dependent to the tribe. They become a dependent to the government. And interestingly, having watched videos by Klaus Schwab and, and his some of his <laughs> well-groomed <laughs> He uh, discloses it all with what he says. I mean, I don't know how people don't see. He's saying he's telling you what he wants to well, do. Well, he's telling you that your <laughs> life is over. And, yeah. And and but I've seen a number of interviews, uh, especially with Robert Fulmich, the German lawyer. He's a California California um, citizen, I th- uh, native, but he's a German lawyer for the government. He's running the COVID German COVID investigation, and they're going after. 
Bill wow. Gates and everybody else, they actually started the lawsuit a couple of weeks ago. It's the biggest lawsuit in history. Wow. And, uh, you know, India has charged Bill Gates for crimes against humanity and they're after him. Yes, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but in, in these interviews, the number of, of just shocking things that have come up is is mind-blowing. You know, it's there was a point I was going to make, but it slipped out of my head. But but anyhow, you, when you start looking into it, you start realizing, oh, the point I was going to make is that he's had on a couple of world-class um, investigative researchers, people that, like detectives. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and they've, on two different occasions I've seen, they actually got their hands on emails from inside the Great Reset people uh-huh. with Bill Gates and others referring to us as sheep and vermin and that eaters. Me. They oh. just call us sheep, vermin, and eaters, and their position is that we're just eating the world up and destroying everything, so they've got to get rid of us and cut the population down. So when you start realizing that the people behind this actually do not think of human beings as humans, they think of them as animals that they can do whatever lab research they want on or exterminate or quarantine or do whatever they want, and you realize these are the very people that are behind this whole thing, it really gives you a wake-up call and says, wait, you know, wait a minute, we've got a handful of people who are so disconnected with what it means to be human and 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 what human values are about and what always amazes me is one of their prime agendas for the great reset is that they've got to protect nature and i say to people <laughs> but do you realize who owns the most dangerous polluting and nature destroying corporations it's these people yes <laughs> so here they are telling us they're going to do this so they can protect nature but they're the ones strip mining the planet mm-hmm. you know so i guess what i'm really trying to point to here is that one of their tactics is to divide and conquer, and people are falling for it. Mm-hmm. But if you really start studying the people that are behind this, which there's mountains and mountains of information about, and they, like you said, they put it out in the open for they everybody, do. and they even think it's a joke mm-hmm. that we don't see it. Yeah, it, they think it's funny. Yeah. But when you realize, okay, what our greatest fear is, our greatest fear should all be the same. Our greatest <laughs> fear is there's people in the world that have enough money, enough power to completely take over the governments, the medical system. Lock your bank accounts, make your life miserable, and do what they've done in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Austria, and they're doing their best to do it here. And so we all have one common goal together, and that is freedom. Mm -hmm. And the other common goal we have is to maintain our constitutional rights, but we can't do the work of changing how things are going if we're not healthy as individuals, because we're stuck at the bottom of Claire Graves' values tree and all we can think of is our own immediate survival which is exactly what they want you to do because you're you're very very predictable when you're like that you're very needy Mm -hmm. and you're not paying attention to what they're doing when they're moving the ball around while they're creating all these distractions so I, i think a book like yours that teaches the principles of how do you actually live and have a relationship with yourself So you can learn to trust your own inner compass, whether it be choosing foods, choosing which home to buy, which business deal to make, who to work for, who not to work for, who to marry, who not to marry, who to vote for, et cetera. Absolutely. Without that in place, 
well, you're just a leaf blowing in the wind. Yeah, <laughs> you're being dragged in all these different directions, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, it's so funny because when I first, I, I thought it was a joke when he was giving health advice, when Bill Gates was giving health advice. <laughs> yes, Bill Gates. I was like, wow, what, I, people can't really take this seriously. Is this, this is crazy. And um, sure enough, people did. And I, I was left thinking, wow, like, what what it, what do we think health is? What do we think health looks like? Uh, this these are not good role models for health. No, they they they're, they're not living in integrity. Number one, number two, they don't look healthy. They're I mean, all you have to do is just look at someone, look at their energy, read the energy in the room, you know, and learn how to do that, and and you'll you'll soon find that you'll see the truth within that. You yeah, know, that you don't have to listen to even what they're saying. Yeah. Many times don't listen to what they're saying, listen to what they're doing and the energy that they're putting out there, you know, that that'll give you all the information you need, but first you have to start working on yourself and get within integrity with yourself first. Yeah. Um and so we have to bring ourselves back into into wholeness mm-hmm. before we can start uh really living with true discernment and and being able to make good decisions for yes. ourselves, you know. I tell people a very good exercise to practice, especially when you're watching people like Bill Gates or Fauci or any of them, is turn the sound off and replay it and watch their eyes and their body language and ask the question, what are they really saying? You know, like if someone gave you a great movie, but somehow the soundtrack got erased and you couldn't get (laughs) another copy of the movie... You could pretty much watch the movie and pick up what's going on just by watching the movie because 55% of all communication is body language, not voice. Yes. So if you practice watching these guys from the perspective of not what they're saying, but what they're actually saying at Mm -hmm. a deeper level, most all of us are built in with the cues from the very beginning of our life with our mother to read faces and understand is mommy happy? Is daddy happy? Am I in trouble? It, it, is Are they telling me the truth? Kids sense very deeply when mom and dad are not telling the truth. They do. But here we have a bunch of adults in the world that can't tell the difference between being lied to and and having the truth told to them, and it gets them in a lot of trouble. Yes. And I think that simply watching the body language is one part, but you. everybody has to understand you'll never recognize the truth until you're telling yourself the truth. Am I happy? Right. Am I healthy? Am I whole? Am I managing my own relationships? Am I first doing no harm to myself or am I running off for drugs and injections and surgeries because I'm too lazy to go to a different aisle in the grocery store and buy real food instead of cheap crap? Yeah. So it it really boils down to responsibility for ourselves. Absolutely. You have to start there. And, uh, you know, if you can't find a role model, a good role model, be the role model that you want to see in the world. You know, it's, it's just, we, we, we have to get to a place where we can uh, first become responsible, get in line with ourselves, and then li- then we can truly live with integrity. If you can do that, then you can start to see everything you need to see in the world. Um, you know, through integrating everything, through feeling the energy. I talk about this in the book, like 
rarely do we, this is the first time I, the first time I learned about feeling energy was really from you in the fitness industry. No one had, was talking about that. And I really didn't understand that concept until it started really to integrate over the years. And I was like, oh, I can direct the energy in my body. I can direct this energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it follows thought. Yes, <laughs> right. Rule. But yet, a lot of people stay here in their heads yes. with, their, with that, and it gets stuck, and then it gets congested and crowded. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to move it through into the heart and into the rest of the or body, or even so the gut. Into the gut, right? Exactly. And um, and so we're left with all these energy centers that are very depleted, mm-hmm. and then we're we're thinking in circles and continually thinking around in circles and and it's bringing us into state of anxiety yes yeah and yeah so marshall it, rosenberg the founder of nonviolent communication has a very simple statement that's very true the head is a very dangerous place to live <laughs> i believe that yeah it's too true yeah Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I am. I love my guests, and I love you enough to tell you about Symbiotica's new amazing product called NMN. And in fact, it's so new, I don't really know much about it. So I said, Sherveen, I need to get you in here and tell me about this product so I know how to use it. So you get to sit in right now as Sherveen tells me about this amazing new product. Sherveen, why should we be taking NMN? So NMN stands for nicotinamide mononucleotide, and it's the main precursor to NAD, which we find in every cell, and it's what helps charge up the mitochondria in the body. It's used for every aspect of our entire life. Yes. Vision, mitochondria, mitochondria, which is the true wealth. Energy It's our energy storage. So we were able to source pure NMN and we have a whopping 400 milligrams per serving in there. And typical Symbiotica style, we wanted to make this into a complex. First off, it's a delayed release, number one. So the capsules are delayed release. We have apigenin in there, which is from chamomile, which is a powerful antioxidant, green tea extract, L-theanine, resveratrol in the trans-resveratrol form, which there's a lot of science that shows that there's a synergy between those two compounds, NMN and resveratrol. We also have coffee bean extract in there. This right here, you know, you want to get on top of your aging. You want to start slowing cellular aging. Mm -hmm. We know now that we have a chronological age, but we also have a biological age. Yes, absolutely. One person who's 50 could really be 35 biologically and vice versa. Mm -hmm. This is a very powerful way to slow down the aging process and in fact, possibly even reverse it to some people. I take it every day on the rise. It's energy. It's cellular energy. You can feel it. Everyone's you know coming out with their testimonials saying, wow, they've never felt energy like this. They've stopped drinking coffee and wow. using stimulants. It's powerful stuff, man. So if I enjoy my coffee, is it going to make me want to stop? No, it'll actually balance your coffee. I probably won't need as much. <laughs> probably not. Fortunately for my only do one shot a day, that's my absolute limit. So- it's great to know that there's a product out there. Particularly, I love the concept of, of a natural stimulation for the mitochondria because a lot of people, you know, the number one reason for physician visits worldwide is fatigue. Absolutely. Chronic fatigue system, which could be thousands of things. Yes. And it's probably just an overrun immune system and cellular de-integrity. Yeah. And a lack of just nutritional variety and, and quality nutrition, which is what I love about all your products are all organic and they come from healthy soils and they're all formulated extremely well. And uh, I use them all and I love them. And I'm excited to try this one because at 60 years of age, I could use a little mitochondrial boost so I can keep up with my kids and my dogs. We're going to get you to about 28, 29 years young Yeah, after a couple of rounds of this. Cool. Well, I'm already there biologically, so you got to <laughs> get right. me even younger than that. Okay. We'll go for 18. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, there you go. If you want your 
NMN and some anti-aging and an energy boost and some uh, several other health benefits, give it a try. You can't do anything but get younger and feel better. So go to symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. And as a Living 4D listener and partner in making the world a better place, I've arranged for you to have a 15% discount on NM, excuse me, NMN, little tongue twister there, NMN. And you can use that 15% discount on any of Symbiotica's amazing products. The formula will help you pronounce it a lot better, too. Oh, good. Well, that's yeah. that's the sign I needed. <laughs> if you can't say NMN three times quickly, you need the product. I think we're all stuck with M&Ms. Yeah. Right? <laughs> all right, guys. Love you. Enjoy the product. Symbiotica.com. Check 15 on checkout. Enjoy your youth. Well, you know, at the beginning of your book which as I shared with you off recording, as I looked through your book, I I saw this one quote and I thought, you know, this one quote really has so much impact. It could be the basis for our whole discussion. So I broke the whole quote down, but the quote (laughs) says, my mission is life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion. So sorry, with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style, and that was by uh, Maya Angelou. So, I, I would like to just sort of work through that with you, because almost everything in your book orients itself around that key statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely, yeah. So, when you talk about thriving what does it really mean to you when you were, use the word thrive? Your book's called Finally Thriving. I think thriving is one of those words that I think we intellectually understand. Uh-huh. But I think a lot of people think they're thriving because they're high on sugar or they're drinking beer or they're stoned or they're um, getting a stimulus check from yeah. the government. <laughs> exactly. Well, that that was my point exactly because – I was you I was hearing the word thriving being thrown around for years mm-hmm. and I even debated putting that as a title because I'm like this has been u- overly used as like holistic you know do people really know what it means to thrive um d- they may think that they do but it's it's a whole nother thing to experience it so uh that's why I decided to call my book finally thriving and and, and give people a, an idea of how I I thought about this and how I thought about surviving versus thriving in a, a very different way than we tend to think of. Like we, we talk about survival mode a lot and we talk about it in relation to our physiological responses, our body. Of course, breathing has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are in, if you're not sure you're in survival mode, check in with your breathing. It'll give you, it'll give you all the information you need to know. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you're up in your chest, you're probably in survival mode. If you're mouth breathing all the time, or you're not breathing, <laughs> or you're not breathing, right? <laughs> so. Uh, you know, bring it slow and low and see how that feels for you. And then you can start to feel your body. You can start to integrate your feelings more so. A lot of times we're in survival mode because we don't want to feel our feelings. We're yes. scared to feel mm-hmm. our feelings. And so we're putting those off um, because we're making ourselves busy. We're hustling. We're striving because we felt like that's what we're supposed to do. We've been taught that's what we're here to do. We're here to, you know, uh, 
we're here to make ourselves matter. What you know, we may be doing it out of the need to gain our parents' approval still, or, or whatever it is. So, my goal was to help people become aware of those motives um, in their lives. What was driving the car, and uh, really get deeper into that and and discover if they were if they were living out of a sense of obligation, or if they were really living for themselves. Yes. You know, and it, it may sound selfish to hear someone say living for yourself, but really you do have to begin to know what it feels like to take care of yourself, be responsible mm-hmm. for yourself, start to enjoy prioritizing time with yourself so you get to know like who you are, what your essence is, what kind of energy are you bringing to the table when you walk into a room? Are you being pulled down with all the negativity? Or when you walk into the room, are you the one that lights everybody up, you mm-hmm. know? And is it is it creating, uh, you know, inspiration in other people who just sit in the room with you? You know, mm-hmm. that's the thing, like, which kind of person do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And so um, I thought that was more of an example, you know, being yourself and just uh, being okay with that and, and being excited to be you and mm-hmm. and that personal expression of who you are, to me, getting to that place is is thriving. And, and then you're able to enjoy life. You're able to appreciate life no matter what the world is doing. It shouldn't yeah. even matter. Really, you know, it's how you, how you show up. Mm-hmm. Angie, Angie's got a cute little saying she always gives the students. She says, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's good. That's good. Uh, so yeah. what, what, what are some of the, you, you know, one of the things before I ask you this next part of the question is you may remember from being in class with me, I teach people I before we always. I do remember that. Yeah. And a lot mm-hmm. of people with Christian programming or religious programming get a bit fiery about that. Well, what about when so-and-so's sick or what about my responsibility to my children or whatever? I say, yes. And why are you in this classroom right now? Because right. you have problems you haven't been able to solve. And you finally came to the realization you're going to have to take responsibility for it yourself. Yes. And so, you know, the way I approach that is I say, you can't give what you don't have. Right. And all you can do is go more and more into a state of depletion and the problem is, is that when you give things to people that you think you're supposed to do at a sacrifice, you get to the point where you begin to resent the very people that you love. Yes. And then you're on a very slippery downhill slope to a place that leads to first anxiety, then depression, and eventually suicide if you don't get clear on the importance of taking care of yourself. And I also see, look... There's always a crisis that comes our way in life at some point, if not at multiple points. I've yes. been through many myself. I'm sure you have too. Deaths in the family, stock market crashes, big business losses, financial stress. If you enter into a crisis with no resources, yeah, then you just become part of the crisis. Right. So if you devote yourself to giving yourself what your values, at least for what is happy making, how much movement do I need, what's the best food and quality of food and combination of food, and how much rest do I need each day, those four doctor basics, then if you need to take care of your sick mother or, you know, 
loan money to somebody that you can't afford to loan, but it's important to you to support them. And so you're going to have to work extra to compensate. Yes. Or whatever sacrifice you got to make. At least you have some reserves. Right. Exactly. If, if you're always giving yourself away, that's what I call externalizing the self. It typically means that you're gaining a sense of value and identity by what you're doing for other people. Yes. But in the process, you're not really acknowledging who you are or what you need. So the more you get validation from others by sacrificing yourself to them, the less and less of you there is left and you end up in a crisis state because there's just nothing to give anymore. So true. And now you 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 got more than one sick person to deal with. Exactly. Yeah. And then you, you know, you get to play the victim too, you know, and, and so I, yeah. So, so many people fall into that trap because this is what's been passed down from generation to generation. Many, many, you know, families teach, their kids like, oh yeah, because they are role models. So uh, this is the point I wanted to bring up about that is parents are the best example. Parents, uh, obviously we, we do have to, uh, take care of our kids. There, there is time to be made and set aside for kids. And it it does have, it does change your life pattern for sure in many, many wonderful ways. And it, you know, it makes it a little harder to put yourself, uh, first at, at times, but really, um, Kids are looking to you for a role as a role model. They're looking at you to see what you do more than you really even realize, mm-hmm. and so they're watching you. And so, if you're not taking care of yourself, that's what do you think model. you're? What yeah. do you think you're teaching your kids? You know, yeah. so um, that's a great way to look at it too. Because I had somebody ask me that question the other day about, you know, what about like you know, parents and, and, you know, obviously that, you know, you're not going to really have, be able to take, you know, the time for yourself to prioritize yourself all the time. But, you know, uh, obviously you're not going to be able to do it as well as somebody who doesn't have kids, but you can still do it and you can still ask for support and, that's you, can it. Still, you know, and so that's the thing is like, we can't do it all ourselves. We can't do every, anything all by ourselves, really. Um, that's why, uh, you know, you're a giver, you you know, I've been a giver for many years and I experienced the, you know, the, the pitfalls of giving too much of myself and depleting myself and, and then feeling like, oh, it's just, it was, um, it's just all about, you know, my identity is based on what I do. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's, that's a sucky way to be because Mm -hmm. then you're, you're not really honoring who you are Mm -hmm. because who you are is going to change depending on the expression you want to express in that very moment. So if you haven't explored yourself that way, then you're going to have a hard time with that kind of, that flexibility and that flow in life, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to identify yourself solely by what you are doing. So if you can begin to practice even just prioritizing some time for yourself every day, um, that's going to be key for really coming be- to a better place with that and not thinking of it as sacrificing, like we have to sacrifice ourselves to to be important in society or belong in a society. We, we don't. We don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is just be you, you know, show up as you, uh, bring yourself to the table. Uh, and that's really it. I, you know, my sister went through a, a major health crisis this past year. She had a near death experience wow. and she's a young mom. And, um, I won't give too many details about what she went through because it out of, uh, you know, um, respect for our family, but, um, 
she has a young son who's six and, um, you know, it was taking, you know, it takes a lot of time. It's hard for her to give time for her to herself. And she has put her creative self on the back burner for, for many years. And she just discovered after this near death experience that she can begin to, uh, tap into that part of herself again through these nature projects that she started. She uh, started doing these mandala, nature mandalas, where mm. she takes things from nature's flowers and all kinds of things, and she just builds these beautiful mandalas and then takes pictures of them. And so she has her son do it with, uh, with her. And so her son just does his own thing. You know, you don't have to control what your, your kids are doing. Let them kind of explore and do their own thing. And then Mm -hmm. you do your own thing at the same time with them. You could make it a, like a collaboration art project or something and, and do things like that. I think that's a beautiful thing, but we, we tend to think as parents, we have to like, we have to direct and, and plan and, you know, everything in our kid's life and make sure they're doing, you know, what, what they need to be doing, but maybe they just need to explore. And then therefore, then you could give your permission, yourself permission to explore as well within that, you know? It's funny you mentioned that because Saturday we had my five symbol archetype workshop here and everybody goes out and makes sort of a mandala type pattern in nature with stones and flowers and pine cones and whatever they can find that takes their five symbols, which basically orients shows them by letting their inner self choose the symbols and the order they go in what's going on in their life and where their focus is and where their work needs to be and then you take those five symbols which is the spiral the cross the square the triangle and the circle Mm -hmm. and so then each of those has an archetypal meaning and so I went out to make mine and, and Mona and Zoe showed up and said, well, can we make it with you? <laughs> and so, of course, I had already had this plan, but I thought, yeah, let's go. Right. So we went out there and, you know, I started it and they added their flowers and pine cones. And, oh, that's great. And by the time it got done, it looked completely different than anything. I It, it actually looked more like we were preparing to start a bonfire <laughs> because Mona wanted to make um, in the middle was a stone, like a little tiny two rock stack tower. Oh yeah! And so he took sticks and he brought them from all different angles, like a bicycle wheel. And then we decorated it with flowers and pine cones, oh. and we looked, walked around looking for crystals in the ground. And oh, that's great! And so the point is, is that you know it was nothing at all like I wanted to create. Yeah. But what was fun for me was. My kids are learning to be creative and to let go of having it to have to turn out a certain way and just have some spontaneity. And, it, it you know, it, it, th- these kinds of things are, are really fun. But going back to what you said earlier regarding your sister and, and also regarding people is when you get your sense of identity from what you give to others and all of a sudden you can't do it, you can have one hell of a crisis. Yes, definitely. Because you don't know who you are. Yeah, that's happened to me multiple times. Yeah, yeah. It happened to me too when I hurt my neck really bad. Yeah. I, I, I was so crippled and so weak and in so much pain, I couldn't do anything and I, I had no strength. So I didn't, it was as though someone just took the manhood right the hell out of me. Yeah. And so I went from being a very strong, powerful person who's not afraid of anybody to thinking, God, if a 
10-year-old put me in a headlock right now, it might snap my spinal cord. And I just, you know, Penny had to carry my briefcase for me and people would give me dirty looks because she'd be dragging all the suitcases and carrying everything like a pack horse and I'd just be standing there and I could see how people would make really <laughs> wild assumptions without any curiosity as to why would this guy with right. all the, you know, looking of the male, alpha male be not doing his part, but they didn't realize that, you know, just holding my arms up was enough to make numbness through my whole arm or shut my whole left side of my body off and crazy shit like that. So, you know, it's sad that sometimes we don't really learn what we need to learn until we enter into a crisis, which is fine, but the secret is not to have to enter it in to the same crisis twice. <laughs> yes, right. I know. Let's learn from it, right? <laughs> Otherwise, hmm. you know, my dad says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, you know? Yes. So, but, <laughs> but it just seems that people in general, I was going to say our culture, but it's a worldwide problem. It's just crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. Yes. Because people keep numbing and drugging and avoiding instead of really getting into it. Hi, everybody. I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast today. You know, it's said that most people are either in too much of a rush to prepare fresh organic greens, be they vegetables or green fruits like fresh green apples, and end up grazing on inferior foods. But it comes with a cost. Nutrient depletion, reduced capacity to handle stress, reduced immune resilience, and you age more rapidly. But Organifi comes to our aid again with an amazingly tasty, nutritious addition their new crispy apple green juice. But it's more than just another apple drink. It's packed with your favorite adaptogens and superfoods. Some key features of Organifi's new crisp apple green juice are delicious taste from organic crisp apples, organic whole apple sources hand-picked, including Golden Delicious from Washington, Northern Spy, Macintosh, Ida Red, and Empire from Ontario, Canada. The new crisp apple green juice is formulated with the highest quality ashwagandha at an effective dose of 600 milligrams for helping your body handle stress more effectively. And it's low sugar, only 2 grams per serving, but the taste is amazing for such a low sugar drink. Just add water, mix, and experience the joy of real food real fast. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and save 20% on Organifi products when you enter your Living 4D discount code, capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20 during checkout. That's check 20 for your 20% discount on Organifi products during checkout. Enjoy Organifi's new crisp apple green juice. Before I move on, maybe you could just give us some of the key hallmarks of a person that's thriving. Like, what would I see so that I could acknowledge that that person's thriving over there? If uh-huh. I walk into a room or I look at people in my family or I'm on a sports team, you know, you got a bunch of fit, sick people on sports teams. So, yeah, you know, what would you say to the audience are indicators of thriving? Yeah. So 
at the very, I would say getting your six foundational health principles intact first, get that foundation. We better tell of, them what those are. Yes. Nutrition, <laughs> hydration, sleep. Movement. Those are your feminine. Mm-hmm, right. Breathing, thinking, and movement are the masculine. So there's the yin and the yang of health. Of That's right. Health and thriving. Yes. And and so you're, you, you have those in place. That's your foundational health uh, that's something you're always going back to, to, you know, uh, to ground yourself. Right. So from there, um, then you are learning how to, uh, navigate your emotional body, right? Mm. You're nav- learning how to let emotions come through. You're feeling, you're feeling these emotions. Um, it depends also on some people, you know, some people have trauma. They may not be ready to step into that pain, but uh, this is something maybe we can start to think about working towards and uh, think about tools and therapy. We could, we could, uh, ways that we could approach this so that we can start navigating our emotions and not be reacting to the world like a mm-hmm. more from a, a kind of what you did when you were a child and you can start responding more as an adult who can, uh, you know, who's now you know, you're wearing the pants of an adult as it relates to your emotions, right? Um, you're not trying to still fit into those small little pants when you're a kid. So um, that would be the next stage, I would say. And then, you know, so you're getting your your emotional needs met. You're meeting those yourself. And then you're also getting your spiritual needs met. You're, you're, you're doing that as well. So you're you're approaching your desires. You're, you're approaching your... And I... I I put wants as a different thing than, than desires because wants sometimes can be confused with material things that we've been told that we mm-hmm. want or suggested that we want. And mm-hmm. th- that can be easily remedied by getting sometimes what you want and not being fulfilling. Then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, maybe that wasn't really what I wanted. Maybe I desire to be seen. Maybe I desire to be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other deeper aspects of these wants that we have. Um, and then, of course, our mind, right? Our mind is a is a wild stag, right? It's like it's it's crazy. We got to harness that energy of the mm-hmm. mind and align it with our values, align it with what our desires are, what we want to create in the world. And mm-hmm. so, the mind is actually an incredibly, you know, an incredibly creative tool that you can use if you harness the energy of it. And mm-hmm. so, that's one thing I've had to do through my life as well. So. I feel like those things, those are the indication of someone who is thriving. And then on on top of that would be someone who can uh, find joy in in everything they do. They're just really just loving for the joy of loving. Mm -hmm. They're doing things out of the joy of it, not to actually get anything from it so much. I mean, you're, you're appreciating people in your life, where you are in your life, the beauty in the world. This to me is a person who is thriving. Yeah. So for me, I would say, you know, if I just walked into a room and maybe was in there for a few minutes and I had the question, who in here is thriving? I would notice who's making direct eye contact with me when I'm talking or who's making eye contact with whoever they're talking to. What's their posture like? Are they in their own skin? Yes. Do they have a sense of vitality and energy? Can they express themselves honestly and openly? Um, Are they capable of engaging 
opposing opinions without losing connection to the person? Are they capable of effective problem solving? Um, is there a willingness to share? Right. And are they able to? Um, are they able to be in their own sense of self authority and self self authorship, or do they need somebody else to tell them what to do, who they are, and how to be, so they feel safe fitting in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, like if I just just like I can look at a person's eyes, I can look at their skin, I can look at their fingernails, their hair quality, their posture. I can watch how their body moves when they breathe, how they move when they walk. I can feel their energy. I can sense whether or not they're in their truth or whether they're just living someone else's story. Right. You know, it's once you kind of know what you're looking for, you can see who's thriving and who's just pretending to thrive. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of false false idols out there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, I've been it's, thinking a lot about that lately. I think Hollywood's penetrated the psyche of humanity to the point that people don't know what's real anymore. I yeah, I agree. Yeah, and we're even getting in d- deeper into that. So that's why I'm trying to help people get to know themselves more. This is a crucial time because we are starting to head into a time of even deeper technology where people are going to probably get lost. Well, they are. Yeah. That's, you know, what's going on in the world right now could only happen if people get lost enough to lose awareness of what is truly safety creating and what is an authentic need versus a want and what is truth and what is reality. Yes. You know, if yes. you don't understand those basic things, you are a sitting duck. Yeah. And there's people with lots of money and ulterior motives that have plans for all of you and your money. <laughs> yeah, this is true. It's That's been happening for a long time. It's just now the rubber's hitting the road, right? <laughs> yeah, now they're just saying, we're, <laughs> we're not going to hide behind no. the show anymore. We're going to actually tell you what we're going to do to you, and you're going to be have nothing and love it. <laughs> I was. <laughs> this reminds me of, uh, I was listening to a podcast on the way out here. I was listening to one of Kyle Kingsbury's podcasts with uh, David Icke interviewed him. Oh, yeah, good. Yes, I That's listened really to that one. Interesting. Very good. Yeah. And, he and they said, took that down, by the way. They did. Yeah, oh they my took gosh. that off YouTube they, in, in less than 24 hours. Oh, geez. Well, he, he said something really powerful about what you, uh, that definitely relates to what you just said um, about how they really can no longer, it's like it only works for so long hiding it and going behind the scenes with what they're doing. They have to now disclose fully for things to come into the next phase of fruition the way they would like for things to come into. But like David Ike was talking about, which hit me because I, this is exactly, it was really funny. I was like, this is what my book's all about. Changing people's perception. Like it's all about perception. Mm -hmm. You know, this virtual reality thing that we're, that they're talking about putting people in it's all about just changing your perception. You can do that right now yes. with your experience right now. You mm-hmm. don't need a video game or any, any kind of virtual reality to experience that. Yes. You know? Well, well our, our mind is a virtual reality. Yes, exactly. Right? You, you yeah. can convince yourself that nobody loves you. You can convince yourself you'll never be successful. You'll always be broke and the long, long list of other things. 
and you can step right into that puppet show and believe it. Right. Right? That's why they say perception equals reality. Yes. But that doesn't mean reality as in the ultimate reality. It right. means the reality you're creating for yourself. So the, the problem that I'm driving at here is that when we have a virtual reality generator between our ears and then we don virtual reality glasses, now we've got virtual reality to the power of the virtual, <laughs> yeah. which means we're that much further removed from the truth of what is true and what is real because we keep on playing games inside of games inside of games. Yes. And uh, I imagine you saw the documentary Social Dilemma. I did, yeah. And one of the key things that one of the founders of, of uh, social media, one of the guys that wrote the software to make it all work, said, the problem is nobody knows what's true anymore yes. or what reality is, not even Google. Yeah, that's, that's, that's mind-blowing right there. So when you, <laughs> and, and, and interestingly, every one of those guys said they will not let their kids use social media because they yeah. know how dangerous it is. Yeah. So w what I'm talking about is that the very people that created the technology that they're now trying to inject into our lives in every possible way are warning us that the result of that is that we now have so many virtual realities, nobody knows what reality is. Well, I'll tell you what that boils down to as a ex-paratrooper guy who's been out hunting in the woods, hiking for weeks on end, and knows to be very true. That is a compass without a needle. Yes, that's a great You analogy. have no way to know where north is. Therefore, you can never find your way home. Yeah. So if you get too far into all this silly stuff and all this living outside of meeting your own needs and having a relationship with your body and not paying attention to what you're eating and if you don't have the effort to follow the money trail and you believe science is fact without seeing who's funding it, etc., right. you're just taking the needle off your compass. And yes. that's how you really get lost. And that's when things get really scary, really expensive, and really dangerous for you and everybody that loves you or everybody that you're responsible for. Yes, I agree with that 100%. That's a great metaphor, I believe. So yeah, it's that is so true. And, and also think that we are shifting into a different reality as well. Mm -hmm. That's the other side of it. Like energetically, we are shifting into a more etheric reality in some ways. So we're really learning how to use uh, the power of the mind to not only create our reality, but also uh, bring that in with the heart. So, it, you know, the, the thing for people, the game to play, I suppose, is to learn how to connect the head with the heart, you know, the higher heart. And so you can live uh, in integrity and in a life that you really do want to live. But many people don't realize, even though people, you know, uh, ascended masters have been talking about this for forever about how you create your own reality. Yeah. Right. It's pretty simple, but yet do we actually integrate that? Do we practice that on a daily basis? Do we use our words to create our reality intentionally? Mm -hmm. And so many people do not. And that's why I wanted to bring this book into fruition because I felt like people just need to know the basics right now. No, mm -hmm. You know, nothing, nothing too complicated, but also something that's pretty fun. So 
uh, you know, you could just start by just exploring what's in your head 90% of the time. You know, what are you saying to yourself? Yeah, you don't need a television. No, you don't. Or a movie theater. You got, you got literally IMAX. Yes, that's right. (laughs) And I mean I. Yes. Max. You don't have to go there. That's right. This is uh, 4D. Living 4D. <laughs> Hopefully, you got your foundation principles and your compass bearings intact right there because, uh, hey, if you can't handle the theater in your head. But, you know, when it comes to connecting the head to the heart, that's the toughest journey. Most spiritual teachers say the longest journey you'll ever take is from your head to your heart because it is a transition. But being a practical man, people have often said to me, how do you do that? And I say, I'll tell you how to do it. I'm going to give you a very simple tool for connecting your head to your heart. But you have to be brave enough to do it. Because what you're going to find is that you have ego conflicts every step of the way. Because the ego is all about controlling and trying to reassure that everything's going to be just the same tomorrow as it was today or better. Right. And that's just childish. So the question is, whenever you're facing a challenge or an argument or a big decision or whether you should get vaccinated or whether you should buy this or give this job up or like many, many people, probably five or six people in my class that I had this weekend walked off their jobs and had to go to complete career changes or go into financial stress to try to figure out how to manage themselves because they absolutely refused to get vaccinated. And if they didn't, they lost their job. Yes. So at least five of them said, I'm leaving. I will rather risk figuring out how to make a living another way than right. put, put a, a th- throw a wild card on the table that's that wild. So the point that I'm making is, is that when you're facing these situations, if you really want to practice getting into your heart, just ask this question, what would love do now? Yes. Because now you can't answer that from your head. Right. Love is not an intellectual process. Yeah. Love is totally not only feeling based, but interrelational. First, you have to relate to yourself. You've got to come down into yourself and say, How do I love myself? How do I respect myself? How do I care for myself? How do I nurture myself? Do I just listen to the voices in my head and trust that they're all true? Or do I go deep enough to find the core of me, the soul of me? And you can always tell when you're listening to the soul because it's unconditional love. It doesn't lead you into more shame, blame, judgment, guilt. That's the superego. That's Freud's superego that does that. That's your mom and dad trapped in your head. But if you ask what would love do now, you'd be amazed how many minutes you might have to sit (laughs) and, and really... Ponder that, and the challenge is, is when you really honest answer that question. And excuse me, I must be <laughs> these must be rented lips; they're malfunctioning. <laughs> if you really answer the question, "What would love do now?" Honestly, the ego often realizes that it is being unfair. Yeah, that it is expecting too much. That it is not doing its part. Or that it is being needy and expecting the government to take care of it so it doesn't have to do anything for itself. Or it is taking the path of least resistance. But real love and real relationships, not about the path of least resistance. It's about what is genuinely loving to do. Absolutely. And so there's your answer, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) If you want to get from your head to your heart, ask the question, what would love do now? Yes. And then 
As my buddy Laird Hamilton says, if you need to sit under a very tall tree to figure it out, go do it. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the thing to do. And um, yeah, but we 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 haven't practiced that. We're not practicing that well, time not spent that. with ourselves. Right? And isn't it a yeah. paradox that eighty five percent of the world's population claims religious affiliation, but I've never met anyone except one person who taught me that question that teaches in any religion how to ask the question, what would love do now? Wow, that's inc- that, that is surprising. Religion teaches you to do what you're told, right? right. not ask the question, what would love do now? Yeah. Even though they say God is love. Well, then right. what would love do now is saying, what would God do now? Yeah. Well, they make God an authority figure, right? Exactly. So and that's one of the reasons people keep falling into the tricks and traps that they're falling into because anybody with a white jacket is a surrogate priest and they don't realize that they're just projecting the same program beliefs onto the screen of reality and that gets to be very dangerous as many people that have been raped and abused in Catholic churches can attest to. Yes. And why are we still following those people, right? I mean, yes. Actions speak louder than words. Um, and, and, you know, ego is an interesting thing because we tend to make ego, uh, you know, the ego wants us to feel safe. It wants to make sense out of the world. It wants everything to be smooth. Like you said, things to go the same way each day. Uh, but that's that's not supposed to be uh, in charge, though, of our lives. Like the no. ego's there for survival. It's help us to be in this reality uh, and experience it uh, in a way that we can experience our material bodies. But um, there is a aspect of the unknown that we don't explore when we're too much in our ego. Mm-hmm. That takes more of a uh, an allowing and letting go aspect, more of a surrender mm-hmm. aspect to life. And uh, you know, there's been so much loss this past couple of years that I feel like a lot of people have um, had to exp- have been forced into experiencing the the surrender of life because mm-hmm. there's just things you can't control and things that just happen because they happen. And you may not know the answer to why this happened right away, you know, but, um, you know, I have a friend who just lost her four-year-old, uh, the other day and it was just, it's tragic. It, it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, and those are the times where we are, are forced to just be like, wow, like, there's there's a deeper thing going on here, you know, mm-hmm. that maybe we can explore and to to make sense of it all, but we may ha- not have the answers right now. And um, how can we right now be there for each other to uh, to get through these times of loss? And you know, it's it, it's having compassion for each other in a way that is loving and supportive without taking that person's pain away. Yeah. You know, so. We want to allow people to have the pain that they need to experience. And what I've seen this past couple of years is people trying to take other people's pain away um, and experience away. And it's that's not a great way to go about it, right? I mean, it's... it's no, I think it's natural to want to help alleviate someone else's pain. And I think the medical community has used that trump card to its maximum but you know i talk about the pain teacher regularly and i think that pain is ultimately a process of opening to 
opening to a lot of things. I mean, it's a real, like when you lose your four-year-old, yeah. it's opening to acceptance of sadness and grief as a reality of a process that you got to go through. You can't medicate the kind of pain that comes from losing a child. No. There's just no way. And I think that part of it is, is, is that there's the ego is afraid to open because when you open, you have to let go of control. And, and oftentimes pain is there because we have tried to control more than we can control because we don't have enough depth of understanding to know what it is that we're trying to control. You know, a, a kid with a chainsaw in their hand doesn't really know enough about what they're trying to control to know what to look for. So when, we, when we're in pain, sometimes we have to, as the alchemists say, we have to cook in it a little bit. We have to be present with it fully so that we can see what's truly involved that led to the creation of the pain and therefore can ultimately help us find the resolution to the pain. But there, there are certain things that you cannot get the answers to by thinking about them. Right. You have to literally allow them to move through you. When my brother committed suicide, no amount of thinking about it or blaming my father for it or um, blaming it on drugs took the pain away. Um, ultimately, I had to I had to just surrender to the fact that life is often more complicated than any of us can really truly understand and that sometimes we just have to let go and trust that the pain is teaching us something valuable and if it's the pain of the loss of, of a child like that there's not even space to say what am I learning from this because the pain no. is too deep at that point it's really it's it's all you can do is wait for the voice of God and love to talk to you because there yeah. is no other voice that one can get soothed by at that point uh, yes that's I agree that's and that's really what surrender is about you know sometimes we're brought into experiences of complete surrender and that's when the ego realizes it has nothing to offer yeah yes that's it exactly it that's right so yeah. i think sometimes you know this is why there's that beautiful saying i don't know who it came from but you probably would recognize it right away god give me the strength to change what i can and the wisdom to know what i can't yes and i think you know, part of the theme of your book is realizing that one of the things that you can change is how healthy you are, how vital you are, how conscious you are, how you orient your mind either to your head or your heart or to an integration of body, heart, and instinct or gut. And that that gives you the agency to do your part to make the changes with the things that you can. Exactly. But if you don't do that, then you end up finding yourself in a crisis where it's you dying because your child of self has been negated. 
Mm-hmm. And then you really are in a, a pickle because now you're waiting for a crisis to learn how to take care of yourself. And that's a really hard time to teach an old dog a new trick. Yes. I see it happen a lot with certain people I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, turmeric's really, really hot now. There's a lot of scientific research on it, but they're not all created the same. So I brought Autumn Smith on to tell you about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex so you know exactly what the benefits are and why you, like me, should get your turmeric complex from Paleo Valley. Autumn, tell us about your turmeric complex. At Paleo Valley, we are big believers in food as medicine. And so turmeric, of course, it has beat drugs out. We know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it has brain benefits. We know it has joint benefits. But what most people don't know is that a lot of turmeric supplements only contain one isolated compound of turmeric called curcumin. And so what we did instead was create a complex. We added organic turmeric and then ginger and rosemary and clove, which were some of the most DNA protective spices studied. And we created a complex. We added organic coconut powder and pepper for absorption. And so we We've created a really high quality, highly bioavailable turmeric complex that will hopefully help you to feel your best. And all you have to do to check it out is go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 to save 15%. Allison, you know, the next word out of that powerful quote that that's really also very much part of your book is passion. And it's certainly a a lovely word, but passion can also be a distraction. And and it can be a product of living one's dream. But people feel passion in the throes of addiction or while having a love affair that ultimately might ruin their marriage and leave their family broken. So what advice do you have uh, for people to help them discern healthy from unhealthy passion or passions? Yes, that, that's a good question. It's about getting your needs met before you you get into the throes of passion or what you think you're passionate about. You know, it can you know addictions can be um, a bit of a, a a way people can disconnect from what they want, what what they're feeling, or the pain is too great. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <clears throat> I would say, passion to me is a. It, Yes, it can be very, it can be ne- both negative and positive depending on a person's perspective and how they're experiencing it. But I would say that a passion can be much more positive if a person is owning their experience of life. They've got, they're, they're meeting their needs and uh, they're, they're going about it from a place of love and joy. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, and so next is compassion. You, you know, compassion's another one. What I find is that people that have what I call fuzzy boundaries often get swept away by compassion. So they may be so disabled by other people's hardships or pain that they lose themselves in it. Yes. So the Buddhists talk a lot about this. I've got a section in my new book where I go into it quite deeply because of the same issue with passion. Compassion can also be a a tool for... um, self-evading, mm-hmm. getting so involved in other people's problems and challenges, 
in the name of compassion, which is really a form of spiritual bypassing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so I think that we have to be careful with compassion and not um, use it as a tool for escape. I don't know. I'm just curious what your thoughts are because the other thing is compassion in our culture means the same thing as empathy. Most people don't know the difference. Yeah. But technically compassion means to understand and empathy means to feel. And both of those, you know, if you get an empath, mm-hmm. they're very open to other people's feelings so they can get very disturbed by being around people that are angry or people that have a lot of negative energy and they don't know how to regulate their own self boundary. Yes. To allow another person to be whatever they're being at the moment without having to be swept away by it. And um, I think if we look at compassion and how to do it healthfully, I think you really have to um, ask yourself the question or remind yourself, give me the power to change the things I can and the strength to know what I can't. So I think if we use compassion as a means of understanding, like when you told me about your friend's loss of their four-year-old, I have compassion. My sister's three-year-old drowned. So I know how painful that is from being in the family with her and also knowing one of my own family members drowned. Um, so the Buddhist conception is to really understand the grief someone's going through and but not to fall so deep into it that now you're a victim of it yourself and you're and then there your agency gets crippled. Your ability yes. to help someone it gets crippled. So I just wondered if you could share any thoughts on on empathy and compassion from your own perspective and and how we can be conscious of the positive and the negative use of those concepts. Yes, um, that's a big one. Um, And I I believe that, uh, first of all, empathy gets confused with sympathy Mm. because we tend to think we're, you know, expressing empathy, but we're really just expressing sympathy, which is getting on the level of where that person is at, where you're just there with them. And again, there's nothing you can do to support because you don't have the reserves to support and and love when that person really just needs, um, you know, compassion and empathy or, or to me more about supporting and loving that person, you know, you have a, you have an idea of how they feel. Um, but again, you're not taking their pain away. Mm-hmm. There's no way to take their pain away. So I think that the society that we're in right now uh, views compassion in more of a way of like trying to take people's pain away. I've seen it a lot where I live in Portland, <clears throat> especially that's people, There's you have a, a, a lot of people who are very compassionate and it it gets hijacked at times because um, people's compassion gets taken advantage of and then they feel like there's a, a huge level of guilt and a need to take other people's experiences of life or pain away. And, uh, and I think that is that becomes uh, very crippling and then puts everybody in that victim mentality, which doesn't really help anybody. Right. Uh, you know, so what happens is uh, what I think 
would be better to to look at it from more of the Buddhist perspective is to approach it from a oneness standpoint. And, and you know, you were seeing yourself and other people, yes. uh, you know, ultimately. And um, for you to be able to do that would be, uh, it would take you being able to condi- unconditionally love yourself because really to, to love someone doesn't need any conditions. There's, there's, you know, and we're in a world right now where there's lots of conditions. Uh, it seems like uh, the illusion of conditions in order to do things, in order to enjoy your life, in order to love other people, accept them. There seems to be a lot of conditions that have been placed there especially lately. And the way I see it is compassion, true compassion and empathy is the ability to love unconditionally Mm -hmm. someone else. But you have to learn how to do that for yourself first, right? Mm, And support and love yourself first in order to give that to someone else. So the, Mm -hmm. what also comes to mind is the, what I call the law of giving and receiving. Yeah. So if you don't really know what it's like to receive, it's going to be hard for you to give to other people because you don't know, uh, well, I should say, let me rephrase that. It's going to be hard for you to give to other people without obligation. Right. So a lot of time we we give out of obligation, like we're going to get something from mm-hmm. this give or we're expecting something from this give, we're expecting someone to reciprocate mm-hmm. and so forth. And really ultimately you're giving just to give out of the joy of giving yes because you know what it's like to receive mm-hmm. so you know how special that feels how loving that feels to receive that from someone but so many people give without practicing the art of receiving and so they never know how to appreciate that give that they're giving to other people in that way if that makes sense it does and what you just described is actually the one of the most common challenges in intimate sexual relationships yes because if a person doesn't know how to receive then they can really put a lot of effort into pleasuring somebody else but then when they are inhibited about letting that person pleasure them it leaves the other person feeling something's wrong or maybe they haven't been good enough for that person sexually or intimately so it can lead to unfulfilling sex when really the opportunity's there, but a person's just not willing to receive pleasure. Yeah. we And we forget. We forget that um, when you receive a gift from someone, they're actually getting a lot from that as well. There is a great exchange there. Mm-hmm. They're, they're getting the gift of you uh, of give, well, they're, they're getting something from giving you that gift. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a big deal. To yeah. be able to give someone something unconditionally. Like this book is a great example for my give. This is the biggest give I've ever given. And it and it's wonderful because it's this is a gift to um so many people to do with what they'd like. I mean, the gift you you know, you're giving someone a gift, they can think it's a shitty gift, or they can think it's wow, this is a, a wonderful gift. Thank you so much. It's up to them how they want to receive it. And so that's mm. that's also uh the bigger, you know. Uh, perspective on that is how do you receive? How do you receive life? Are you are you just giving all of yourself without learning how to receive from other people? Because it it goes hand in hand. Yeah, I had an experience one time. I I did a painting for my brother as a gift, and I thought he'd really like it. And I have never heard anything back from him for quite a while. So I wrote him an email and said, "Hey, I never heard anything about." painting I did for you what what happened do you like it or not he said 
He wrote me back and said, well, quite honest with you, I hate it. And I said, well, you know what? Why don't you try lighting it on fire? That might give you a sense of release. <laughs> you know, so yeah. the the initially I was like, oh, my God, why, why does he not like that? I really thought it was cool. I thought he'd really like that. But then I, I just, you know, always remember that, you're not really giving somebody if if you have attachment to it. Exactly. You know, so I, I just said to him, light it on fire. Maybe that'll be fun. You know, yeah, that, do whatever that, that, you want That'd be it. a new form of art. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing is like, once you give a gift to someone, it's it's uh, it's not yours anymore. You, you've given that and, and they have they have the power to do with it what they want. And, and it also is a, a good reflection of how that person receives. Yeah. So it's not personal. It's just really, it's about how that person receives the goodness in life or, or whatever they receive in life. And, and a great way to start practicing that in your life is just start, just start receiving gifts, even if it's something you don't want. So if, I'll give you an example. I was talking to one of my friends about this and she was having some issues with receiving and I gave her a really great idea. Something I started doing was even though I don't use those like those uh, sanitary wipes that they give you oh, uh, God, as yeah. you step into the airplane, right? Yeah. They want you to wipe down everything. She, you know, they give you, give you one as you step in. And, and I was just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to receive this. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I received it beautifully. And, and the stewardess was like, Oh, you know, thank you so much, you know? And so it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the energy behind mm-hmm. it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, even if it's, if it's something you don't want, just receive it with grace. And then you got a gift you can give to someone that might want exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a good practice. The next little stop on our very powerful quote was humor. She's um, saying, my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. So humor is something that too many people lack, in my opinion. Um, I feel that as people lose their sense of humor in relationship to themselves, they lose their sense of humor in relationship to almost anything, including life. I'd love it if you could share your thoughts on how humor takes a role in thriving. What's the yeah. humor factor? Well, you know, um, and, and again, I'm going to I'm going to uh, refer to the great sages, the great spiritual sages, and, and ascended masters who always have a great sense of humor, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, um, you know, my dad is a great example of this. I, I put a dedication to him in the very beginning of the book, and he inspired um, my humor, especially this past couple of years. Um, he passed away February 2020, and um, <clears throat> one of the stories I put in the book was that um, my sister and I were like, you know, we're upset and we're rummaging through, you know, all that we're like trying to figure out if we're going to cremate him or, or bury him. We didn't, we couldn't recall if he, you know, which one he'd prefer. And, you know, we thought, oh, I think he's, he wanted to be cremated, but we're not sure. And we're like, okay, so my dad's a, he was a really neat person, very clean person, but on his desk, he had a pile of papers and he would write these little notes on little sticky sticky uh pieces of paper like little uh i don't know what they're called like the post-it notes yeah sticky all, tabs yeah yeah all over and there'd just be a lot of different piles of paper everywhere and we are look rummaging through everything and and so um 
because he'd keep a lot of junk mail too on the desk. So we had to get through all that stuff. And we're looking through all these piles of paper. And then we see this little joke because he'd write these either sayings or jokes on these little pieces of paper. And we come to this paper and it says, my only hope for a smoking hot body is to be cremated. <laughs> there you go. And we're like, oh my God, he's still telling jokes, even, mm-hmm. you know, in the afterlife. So that was hilarious. Um, and, you know, so it's, you know, he would always tell us not to take life so seriously. And I believe that's because he was working on that himself and he was working through some of his own personal anxiety. And he, you know, that was something he would, he would always go back to and remind us of. And he would, he had the best dad jokes of, you know, he would all, we, my sister and I would talk to each other. We should really write a book with all his dad jokes because he said so many of them over the years. (laughs) And, and so that was, um, that was an inspiration for me to write this book as well, because if I took myself so seriously all the time, I would never do anything. I'd never get anything done because I'd be so afraid of judgment of other people. There's the perfectionist. Yeah. That's the life of the perfectionist. Exactly. And so how much does that, does that inhibit us in our life? How much does that stop us from really expressing ourselves the way we would like to express ourselves? And and, and uh, you know, how much does that make life not fun? Like, are you having fun? Yeah. I mean, laughter is uh, the spice of life. I think it's just, it, it makes everything uh, just so much more enjoyable in authentic laughter, of course, you know. And so uh, if you don't have humor in your life, if you're taking life too seriously, start to ask yourself why, you know, why, why do you want to have fun? Do you want to laugh? I mean, I do. I, I think laughing is like one of the best expressions, you know, it's, I mean, we all love watching comedians. We all love how they make us feel. Um, You know, you can bring that into your own life. And I, so I think it's an important component of health as well, so that you're not so restrictive in your, in your life. And then the restriction doesn't come into your body because we can see that with a lot of people too, who are very restrictive in their body uh, because they're just not letting go and, and, and enjoying. Yeah. Great. I think, you know, I think the first place to apply our humor is to ourselves, you know. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I I laugh at myself all the time. The mistakes I make. I mean, it's, I make mistakes so much more fun now, you know, it's, Mm. it's just, it's, it's okay. We were here to explore that and nobody's perfect. We don't even know what perfect is really. No, well, there's no sense knowing because anything that's perfect doesn't move. It can't change. So that's the end of life. Right, right. You know, it's it's a dead end road. Um, we have to we have to also laugh at our own stories that we're telling ourselves day after day. You know, mm-hmm. make humor of this. Like, is that really true? And oh my god, I can't believe I believed that for so long. I can't believe I was living by that story. Like, where did I learn that? You know. So um, there's just a lot of ways to go about it. You can even there's this. Um, I know that you talked to Mark England recently. Yeah, yeah, it was One, great. One thing that I learned from him was the four-step story process, which I put in the book too. And um, I give everybody a little bit of information about how to do that on their own. And he taught us how to, what we did, um, this is a little bit different than what I put in the book, but what he teaches people is called their Billy story. So you can kind of, you can just insert whatever name you'd like. This is your alter ego. Mm-hmm. And then you then you write what this alter ego part of yourself says to yourself, the stories that it says to yourself. And then you have to read it out loud. And then mm-hmm. you have to 
eventually we're now, we say it, you know, kind of seriously at first and we breathe into it, we integrate it. And then eventually you start to, uh, you know, do it in different voices and different Mm. funny voices. And then it just really dissipates the energy behind the story that you're living by. And I thought that was so powerful Mm. because many times um, we don't really bring humor into some of the, you know, the, the things that we're that are actually pretty comical in our lives that we're that we're really living by. Yeah. And if we saw the humor behind it, we'd see how silly it is that we're yeah. actually doing that. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I look out at the world, and one of the things that just rises up in my mind is God has a very good sense of humor. Yes, he really does. He or she, she, she God, whatever. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure God's more of a woman than a man because I've never seen a man give birth to anything but a big poop. <laughs> and something birthed the universe. So yes, it's not a poop; it's a home. Um, one of the things I wrote as a note is wellness versus well-being. What is empowered wellness? How does it differ from wellness, self-care, and well-being? Um, because you have that concept in your book, Empowered Wellness. So how does empowered wellness differ from just being well, like I'm not sick, self-care, or the overarching concept of well-being? Yeah. So again, like I I equate this to the thriving versus surviving thing, because like if you're just trying to not be sick, that's not quite thriving, right? It's not empowered wellness because you're not owning your experience so much of wellness. You're just trying to get by. Yeah. And so empowered wellness to me is really taking the responsibility to learn the skills that you need to learn to be healthy and then taking it one step further and enjoying the process, creating your own process of wellness, your own wellness practice on a daily basis. Yes. One example I use in my book is how to create your own wellness state every day. Mm. So, um, you know, I wanted to make it fun for myself. So I just, uh, the way I prioritize myself is I have wellness dates with myself mm. on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. I just set aside time to either, uh, one thing I love to do is to get in the sauna and do vocal toning while I'm mm. in the sauna. Me do, I do that too. Yeah. We might be doing it at the same time. We might be <laughs> simultaneously um. vocal toning. Yeah. And it just feels good to me. It feels good in my body. So things that I feel that feel good in my body that give me a sense of clarity and something that aligns my body as well and my spirit and my mind, that's going to allow, you know, the energy to move through. It's going to allow whatever wants to be expressed to be expressed. And I think Mm -hmm. creative expression is the highest form of wellness and wellness. And so if we can get to that point where we're just letting ourselves or giving our per- ourselves permission to express what needs to be expressed in the moment in a healthy way, mm. then that's empowered wellness right there. Yeah, good. I think that's important. Because ultimately, empowerment needs to be self-empowerment first, or it's ult- it, the risk is that it turns out to be some kind of a leverage that someone uses against you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a fear factor thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of like, I did this for you, now you got to do this for me. Yeah. Right. You know, so exactly. then it takes the, the love out of it. Absolutely. 
yeah, it's a parent child relationship in a way too. Cause I've seen so many people like, obviously we got to have a good plan in the beginning. It's great to get a person, uh, to hire somebody who can coach you through a process beyond that. After you learn the basic skills, it should, well, you can start to create a practice that works best for you aside Mm. from what other people are doing or what other people think is the right thing to do. Because honestly, there's all kinds of things that you can do as it relates to your wellness. That's a creative act in itself. Mm -hmm. As you know, there's so many tools that we can reach for, for wellness and, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, so many different ways to eat, so many different ways to work out, Mm -hmm. so many different ways to experience your health, Mm -hmm. choose one, choose what's right for you. So that's the next level is you're creating what really, really resonates for you in that, in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most amazing Bioptimizers products I've ever used is Biome Breakthrough, which used to be called Leaky Gut Guardian. I can honestly say I use it every single day. I have a morning routine. I put a scoop in with two fresh squeezed limes. I put a little bit of other ingredients that I like in there. And I'll tell you what, if any of you have read my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, and you know how to read your poops, well, Biome Breakthrough makes for some really nice poopy policemen. I've got Wade here to tell us what's so unique about it, but I want to tell you right up front, I love this stuff. I don't go anywhere without it, and I keep a lot of it on hand so I don't run out. So, Wade, what is it that's making that product so effective? Well, first and foremost, we have to look at what's happening in the population at large. And Harvard just released an extensive study demonstrating that virtually everyone has some degree of leaky gut. And that means the gut permeability of our intestines is leaking toxins into the system, which are causing immuno responses. Now, some people that's sneezing or allergies, but then it can move on to more inflammatory conditions. And anybody that's checked out your work understands this. The question is, how do you actually seal the gut so that you can stop this from happening? And we have a partnership with Birch International University in Croatia, where we have a team of PhD scientists working on this. And we've been able to combine a unique product called IGY Max, which is a patented egg-based product that enhances your gut health and reverses the damage that can be done by all these toxins that are leading to leaky gut. But when we combined it with some specific probiotics, they work synergistically together to be able to repair leaky gut and literally hours as opposed to going through an extensive protocol. Now, we can't stop ourselves from experiencing all the toxins in our world or food, air, water, you name it. It's coming from everywhere nowadays. So what we have to look at is, is, well, how do we manage the damage, if you will, that we are taking, even if we're following, you know, the highest levels of, of food hygiene and, you know, conscientiousness. And so What's happened is Biome Breakthrough has been able to be proven in the lab and in folks. Research papers will be coming out very soon to demonstrate this. And that's why we've called it Biome Breakthrough. We're able to actually repair and stop the leaky gut from happening with the combination of IGY Max. It's a unique set of probiotics. And we're happy to deliver it to people. We're very excited. We can try it. It's a money back guarantee. If you don't feel better, if your poops aren't better, if you don't say, wow, my, my inflammatory conditions in my gut are going down. Uh, you get your money back. So it's real easy to get. You go to biomebreakthrough.com slash living40. You'll get put in Paul 10. You get a 10% discount on this and any other products that we supply at Bioptimizers. I can't recommend it enough. I love this stuff. And it actually tastes good too, which is unique. 
So thank you very much once again for making such an amazing product. I'm really excited to be able to offer it to everybody. Enjoy Biome Breakthrough. I think it's important for the whole family. The next thing I wanted to dialogue with you a touch about is I read through section one, Align Your Mind, but I couldn't find any definition of what mind is. So I'm wondering if you can share what it is that you mean when you're using the term mind in your book. Yeah. So again, my theme is creativity and we're bringing that artist and the, and the athlete together, mm-hmm. you know, to create empowered wellness. And so the mind I see is a tool for bringing your imagination into form. Mm, good. Yeah. Right? So that's how God does it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here to do is create, right? Mm-hmm. If we think about it like that, if we're here to create, like mm-hmm. what do you want to create? And then you have to get, start focusing, learn how to focus. It's a skill to be learned just like anything else to train your mind. The yeah. mind has to be trained. So we want to learn how to focus. We want to learn what uh, default mode we're going into on a daily basis. Start practicing what you're, uh, you know, start becoming aware of what you're saying first, but then start practicing what you'd like to say so that you can create the reality you're living in. Many people uh, learned how to build vision boards from The Secret. You know, that was a big thing for a while. And I think that's still a fun thing to do. But if you are not building, uh, Mark actually said this, and I will, I will quote him. He said that the mind is like, a, a vis- is like your inner vision board. Your inner dialogue is the vision board that you're creating on a daily basis. Yes. You're, you're creating a reality from that. So... So basically, you know, if you're if you're saying negative things to yourself all the time, if you're criticizing your body, your body will respond to that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to say, "Hey, wait, this this isn't a good thing to say to me." It's going to be like, "Oh, okay, this is what you want. Okay, we're going to create that." Yeah. So the cells in your body are going to respond either, you know, you know, it's going to be either a negative or positive way, but um, depending on how you're looking at it. But if you want your body to respond favorably then start loving it and talking to it in a loving way, more kind and and um, and less critical. Yeah. My body's always been my best friend, you know? Yeah. Whenever I've gotten hurt, I've always kind of held myself and, you know, say, well, that was fun, but we screwed it up. We're hurt <laughs> again, you know, whether it be motorcycle racing or whatever. But I've always found that just really being grateful for my body yeah. Because who are we without one? I mean, yeah. Yes, we're still a being, but not in this dimension. Right. You know, we came to be in this dimension so that we can play with matter. Exactly. It's our vehicles of perception. Yeah. Right? So if you're if you're perceiving from an unhealthy an unhealthy body, it's going to be a totally different way of perceiving life than a very healthy body. You're mm-hmm. going to have a more clear vision. If you're in a healthy body, you're taking care of your body, you're loving your body, mm-hmm. you're, you're uh, enjoying being in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, of course, we are, we are so much more than our body, but our body is here for us. It's here for you. It's working mm-hmm. for you. So mm-hmm. you might as well see it that way and work with it. It's a collaboration. Yeah. Right? So um, it's just going to respond however you want it to respond. And, and many of us are not aware of that. Yeah. It's also a relationship. So it's always mirroring your relationship skills back to you. Yes. You know, it's um, 
You know, you have to feed a body well. You have to hydrate a body well. You've got to move it. You've got to breathe. You've got to nurture and care for it. Um, you have to be conscious of what the impact of your thoughts are on your body. But none of those things are things that you don't have to be aware of in any other relationship. If you aren't aware of those things with your spouse or your friends, it causes trouble. That's true. You know? Yeah. They're, external, they're external representations, I guess, of how we think about ourselves. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I encourage people to have a deep, loving friendship with their body. And if their body's not healthy, it means the body needs more love and it needs more attention, more awareness put on how it got that way, you know? Yeah. Uh, diseases don't just happen at the wave of a magic wand. You have to work at it. Yes, exactly. It's been there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have to say, okay, what's been going on in my relationship for long enough to produce cancer or diabetes or chronic yes. back pain or whatever it is? What am I not paying attention to? Right. Because a lot of people are so busy that they, they tell themselves they don't have time to take care of themselves. Well, yep. that's a great way to end up having um, what I call a forced relationship with your body. Yes, right. <laughs> it will give you reason to hold still yes. and have a conversation. It's exactly like a <clears throat> a plant, a child, you know, uh you know, anything that you have to care for, it's going to bring it to your attention if you're not caring for it, if you're not putting attention towards it or any interest towards it or any love towards it. It's going to start to get your attention after a while if you're not doing that. Yeah. It won't flourish. It won't grow. No. If you don't it show interest in it. It just grounds you more and more and more. Yeah. You're, yeah. It's just like um, an animal stuck to a tether. Yeah. It walks and all of a sudden the chain jerks on its neck and it goes, wait a minute, I have no freedom. Right. So, you know, if your sex organs stop working properly, then there goes your sex life. If your mind is so cloudy that you can't think straight, then you can't create what you want. If your body's not flexible enough to get in and out of your car and play with your kids, then yes. that changes your relationship with your car and your kids. And it's sort of, you know, <clears throat> your body's kind of like a phone in the sense that someone has to call your exact phone number to get you and they they recognize our body as our identity in other words i could walk through an airport full of thousands of people but i would know definitely when i saw alison pulo because i recognize her body as the expression of the soul right and until a person learns to see a soul, they better learn to pay attention to bodies. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. And we have our expressions of that, right? Through movement and through voice and mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things. Yeah. 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 Pain, we've covered a fair bit. You know, I, I had Jerry Wesh's quote that I use so often, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis. And I think we've already done justice to the issues there. So... Before we close today, um, maybe you can just give your, your the listeners a quick overview of sort of like what's in the toolbox in your book, Finally Thriving, so they have some sense of why it might be relevant to them. Maybe if you could just sort of sure. give us a big picture Absolutely. overview of if you buy the book, this is what you're getting. 
Yeah. So it takes you through three phases. And I did it uh, in this order because this is how I work with my clients. And this is the process I've put myself through as well. The first phase is aligning the mind, getting the vision clear, right? Let's see where we're at. Like I said earlier with your default mode and then your... um, uh, you know, aligning with your values. Let's get clear on what your values are. Many people don't even ask themselves that question. So that's a big one. Um, and then I take them through uh, the art of imagination, using your imagination muscle, really exploring that and mm-hmm. taking yourself really outside the box of what you've maybe been putting yourself in or, or you know, limiting yourself with, really going going all out with that. And so... Um, you know, and I put, uh, each chapter has some kind of action step they can take big or small in the very beginning. It's a little bit more just because that's, uh, we're working on our foundation and then as it goes, we have then connect to the body. So how do you connect to your body? Once you've aligned your mind, you've harnessed the mind, you've, you've trained it. you you have a focus now of where you want to go with it. And uh, there's many different ways to connect to the body. I um, focused more on our low tech, uh, what we have in our body as far as low low technology. Well, I say low technology, but it's really high technology um, as far as like breathing. How can you connect with your breathing? And mm-hmm. we start with nose breathing. Mm-hmm. And I explain why that's important, how that can change your metabolism, how it can put you in more of a parasympathetic nervous system mode, more rest and digest, and uh, get you out of the sympathetic, which many people on a daily basis are mouth breathing, and that's putting them in more of a fight or flight mode. So if you can just even just focus on nose breathing, which is so simple, all you're doing is paying attention to how much you breathe through your nose through the day. Mm -hmm. We need to be breathing through our nose during rest and light exercise. And if you can't do that, then you can start working on getting your nasal passages open for that. And then we can also start to begin to really open up the diaphragm and breathing into the abdomen and and expanding the rib cage because many people are very tight in that area for restrictive clothing, Mm -hmm. trauma, those kinds of things. So, um, So we work on that. And then I also put in a, a chapter about freeing the feet because uh, we we tend to skip over the feet so many times. People have knee issues, hip issues, uh, because they're just not grounding themselves with their feet. They don't mm-hmm. uh, many times even feel the ground they're stepping over. No. So we want to check in with that as well, and I give them some tips and exercises for really being able to mobilize the feet. Very simple things that actually go really far with um, fitness, and you know. There's tons of fitness books out there, so I didn't really want to put a heavy heavy fitness uh, regimen in there. I just want to give people exercises that they could handle that were small, mm-hmm. very easy to do, but really um, gave a lot of bang for their buck, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and you know, they were enjoyable too. Like some people just aren't going to get into the whole fitness thing really heavy, and some people have... Um, more of an artist approach to life and they're going to want to just bring things in slow like that. So that can help, uh, you know, them in a bigger way. Uh, and that was my, my approach to that because I just wanted to make it simple for people. I felt like we had so much complexity already. We don't need more of that. And then I brought people into some aspects of food that uh, make it more enjoyable, Mm -hmm. not, not as much restrictive diet approach, but more like how can you 
uh, create a relationship with your food by, uh, you know, first of all, learning about your local farms, going out and talking to the farmers mm-hmm. at the farmer's market, having a farmer's market is market experience, mm. you know, with the smells and the, and the vibe and all the neat food and, and all of that, just like start to enjoy your food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, enjoy the delicious, nutritious foods. You know, it doesn't have to be restrictive and hard to learn how to eat well. You can no. make it an enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. So that was my, uh, my approach on that. And I give people ways to understand that better, as well as, you know, just learning how to regulate your physiology with, with food and, and exercise. And then I thought one of my favorite parts of the book actually is the listen to your spirit aspect mm. of it, which is the third part. And um, it's less doing more reflecting. So the action steps are more for uh, reflection. But I thought, you know, how many fitness books out there, aside from yours, of course, Paul, that, you know, really bring in the spirit to mm. fitness and, and health and wellness? Like there's not too many that combine the physical and energetic and teach people really how those interplay mm. and teach them how to feel their energy and um, because everybody is unique in that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, the way I feel energy and see energy is going to be different than you. And so it's really up to each individual to tap into that and to learn how they experience that. So that's yeah. what I wanted to help people with because mm-hmm. that's how I learned it. It wasn't, it was just through tri- trial and error. And then I realized things I'd been feeling the entire time were, was actually energy moving through me. And I was like, wow, I, di- I didn't, I thought everybody was feeling it like this, but not so much, but some people might, you know, like there might be more people that do experience that than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to bring that to light within the wellness community, because I think that we always separate, you know, the spirituals over here, the, the fitness is over here and the nutrition's over here. Like, it all works together and it all needs to be together for mm-hmm. us to really start to um, integrate these bigger energies that are coming in and um, that we're going to have to step up to, uh, you know, to really be able to handle what's to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to give people some some tools of perception there so that they could start to reflect on their lives and really ask themselves the hard questions. Um, but not only that, to also create some joy and creativity in their, in their experience. And then finally, the last chapter, I bring you into love and appreciation and how you get there. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. You know, what's to come is that we have to do for the world what we are needing to do for our bodies. Yes. Because the world exactly. is our extended body. Yes, right. You know, exactly. All the air you breathe came from outside of you. All the water you drink came from outside of you. All the food you eat came from outside of you. Most of what you see is outside of you. Your friends and your family are outside of you. Yes. Other people, other cultures with other belief systems are outside of you. So ultimately, the world is always mirroring us back to us. Yes. And so the nice thing about it is is because, yes, we are at a tipping point where we've got to make some changes or we're going to, you know, (laughs) guarantee the sixth mass extinction and you know mother nature won't die she'll just get rid of the parasites but um i think if we look at the world as the rest of ourselves if we start by really 
applying the kinds of principles because if what it takes to make us thrive is what it takes to make the world thrive. Absolutely. 100%. So, so yeah. really the best way to get ready for the world transformation is to thrive yourself so you have the energy, vitality, compassion, love, and genuine interest in making the world a better place. Yes. Otherwise, what happens is you get enough people that are just done with it all and think that it's too scary and too big, and they just turn into, you know, they turn into passive consumers of drugs and anything that numbs them, and that unfortunately just keeps the exact disease going that got the world the way it is. Yes. They become highly suggestive, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah. And, you know, I, I definitely uh, want to help people not be highly suggestible because I think there's, that is not a very empowered place to be. And so with this book, I wanted to help people find, um, you know, connect with themselves in that way. Because like you say, what, how you are connecting with yourself and your relationship with yourself is a, is going to be a reflection of how you can relate to other people. It's always going to be that reflection and it will change your reality as well as you change that within yourself. Absolutely. We, yeah. And we have to just start doing it. We can't, we can't keep just talking about it. We have to start not have to, but it would be great if we could all, you know, begin to integrate that and, and start living it, you know? Well, I think part of the problem is people keep waiting for someone else to do it. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when you've got a puppy, the dog is going to poop on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And the longer you wait for someone else to do it, the more of a stain on the carpet you get and the more the yeah. house stinks and the more bugs you attract. And the next thing you know, someone's walking through yeah. it. Doesn't All get of that could have been handled by just somebody else. Oh. My dog pooped on the floor and here's an act of love. It's a puppy. It doesn't know any better. But it's almost like the world's full of people that are waiting for someone else to clean the puppy's poop up. Yes. And, and, and things are starting to really stink. Yeah. And if we're waiting for the politicians to do this, we're going to be waiting for a long time because- <laughs> Well, they've never done <laughs> I can tell you that is not going to happen probably. So yeah, it's up to each person to take responsibility for themselves on that level because that's something you can control. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, do the work, do the work. And then, then from there, you can just, you know- Relax every, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Share more love because you got it. Yeah. Um, where's the best place to find the book? Well, it is on Amazon. You can find it. That's the easiest place to find it. It's mm -hmm. also at Barnes and Noble. Um, I'm working to get it in some local bookstores as well, but right now the easiest place to get it is Amazon. You can find it on finallythrivingbook.com. And I have a new online program that's going to be a companion program to the book coming out late April. So it's going to be uh, a a group coaching experience with me. And then I'm going to take you through a 12 week process mm -hmm. of actually integrating what we talk about in the book, what I talk mm -hmm. about in the book. So um, that's going to be at finallythrivingprogram.com. And I'll have that information uh, for Penny as well. But um, that's going to be really fun because it's going to help. It's going to be a, an opportunity for people to make the movie of the out of the book so they're going to be able to create their own life movie from mm. the book <laughs> yeah good <laughs> you know is yeah. there any other services or anything else that you'd like to offer or websites that people can find you at 
I do, um, I still do one-on-one coaching with clients. I do uh, see people in person and online. And so I do that through pureenergypdx.com. And if you want to set up a free consultation with me, you can get on my schedule there. Pure Energy PDX. DX. Yeah, okay. PDX stands for Portland. So at one point oh. I was very, I was local. Now it's worldwide. So mm. it's not, you know, after the pandemic, it started to be different. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, there's that. And I also have a, a podcast called Integrate Yourself. Oh, yes. I love your podcast. Thank you get you. a lot of great guests on thank there. You. I've listened to many of your podcasts. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. You've been on there too. That's right. I need to get you back on. It's been okay. a while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, writing my book myself, so I've been trying to kind of yeah. keep the engagements down because I get requests to be on podcasts almost every day, but Penny's kind of holding them back, but uh, we'll we'll definitely work it oh, out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have time. Yeah, I want you to- We can talk to... about my new book. That's what I, I would like to do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I. Um, you've shared some of your new book and I'm loving it, so yeah. I'm excited to, to read the whole thing. Yeah. Unlike yours, mine's about- going to be about 500 pages. Oh, I'm sure. I yes, I'm, yes. I'm, I, I remember when Ben Greenfield put out this <laughs> great big massive book. I don't know if you ever saw his book. It was, I don't know, weighs about eight pounds. Oh my God. And I said, Jesus, who does Ben think's going to read this? And then I'm giggling <laughs> at myself going, damn, I'm doing a Ben Greenfield here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot to say after these two years. Right? Oh yeah. Well, you know, yeah. the, the way I'm writing my book is it's just absolutely full of beautiful art and, yes, and very descriptive diagrams. Yes. So I wrote it so that even if you don't really feel like reading a lot of deep stuff, yeah. you can just look at the art and the diagrams and the summaries of the chapters and you'll be able to digest quite a lot of it. And I designed it so that it will work on you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's wonderful. Enter your psyche and and let the art do its art therapy. So That's it can, what we need it, more of these days. Yeah. yeah, so I wrote it, and I'm writing a beginner's guide too. So I, uh. I felt as I got into it, I just went, well, you know, this is a deep enough book that it's probably going to need uh, some simplification, but I just did not feel like I should simplify the actual message. Yeah. So I'm going to write the beginner's guide, and that way people can say, well, I would like to know more about this concept. So then you can go So the, the beginner's guide is like the cliff notes to the book. It's more like the Dr. Seuss version. <laughs> okay. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. Literally, I'm going to do it like a Dr. Seuss book. So oh, that's that great. Kids could understand it. I love that. And then there's going to be a workbook that's how to apply it. So, um, yeah. As soon as I finish the book, it's going to be a great sense of relief. But then I got two more books to write. <laughs> <laughs> But anyhow, well, thank you. You're welcome. I'm really glad you did this. I'm, I think it's going to be very helpful. I, I think the way you wrote it is very accessible to anybody. It's, yes. You don't need a lot of technical training at all. It's really kind of like having a loving mother writing you messages about how that, to live. That's exactly what I wanted. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, totally. That's That was the vibe that I was going for. Yeah, well, yeah. you got it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Allison, and and best of luck. I'm sure you're going to sell lots of copies. I I, w- I really hope you do because the world needs real guidance from real teachers that have walked the path and know exactly what they're writing about from life experience. And uh, thank you to all of you listeners. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you enjoy Allison's new book, Finally Thriving. It's Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, Pulo, P-E-L-O-T. And uh, 
Penny will give you more details as we close, but I just want to say thank you to the sponsors for all your love and support. If you guys enjoy the podcast, please share it with people to help inspire change, awakening, and growth. And if you love the podcast and you want to leave me a comment on iTunes, that would be fantastic. And uh, if you didn't like the podcast, that's okay too, but let's keep that our secret. And uh, I'll look forward to sharing more with you really soon. So lots of love, everybody. Hope you uh, have a great time till next week. Thank you, Paul. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Alison Pillow. You can pick up a copy of Alison's latest book, Finally Thriving, at finallythrivingbook.com. She is offering Living 4D with Paul Check listeners 10% off her Finally Thriving group coaching program. Go to finallythrivingprogram.com and use the code CHECK10 at checkout. That's C-H-E-K-1-0 when you check out. Connect with Alison on Instagram at Pure Energy PDX or on YouTube at Alison Pilo. Check out her podcast, Integrate Yourself, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow Paul Check on Instagram at Paul.Check, on Twitter at Paul Check, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chakila.com. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.